Hi there, and welcome to Graceful Truth. We have one more look at Romans chapter 2 before we shift gears and segue into the Christmas message and what it really means. This is Graceful Truth from Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, and we welcome you to today's broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Hi there, and welcome to Graceful Truth from Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, takes us back to Romans chapter 2 as we continue our in-depth look at this marvelous book. Chapter 2, Righteous Judgments. And indeed, there is a judgment to come. Are you ready for it? With more now, once again, with today's edition of Graceful Truth, Pastor Steve. Well, not only through revelation, natural revelation, not only through conscience, but also knowledge through the law of God. Look at what it says in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. This is interesting. Chapter 3, Romans, verses 1 and 2. It says, Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way to begin with, Look at what it says. The Jews were what? Entrusted with the oracles of God. The Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. God gave them the commandments. God gave them the law. Why did he give them the law? It wasn't so they could take it and hoard it. (laughs) That's what they did. They took it and they they abused it and they, they... Changed it, and they made all these other laws that don't exist. That's not why God gave it to them. God gave it to them so that they could share it with other people, but they didn't want to do that. So he's saying they were entrusted with the oracles of God. And the Jewish people had the truth of God in written form before their eyes. And what he's saying is, therefore, they're just as inexcusable, if not more so, because they had... The revelation of nature, they had the revelation of their own conscience that God put inside them, but they also had the revealed word of God. And they, unfortunately, didn't think that way. They thought because they lived a certain way or they did a certain thing or or whatever, that they were righteous in and of themselves. In Romans chapter 9, look at verse 4. Romans chapter 9, verse 4, just kind of highlights this. It says, They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law and worship and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all. Blessed forever. Amen. This is what they were entrusted with. They didn't do a very good job keeping that trust. They killed the very Savior that God gave them. And so you see here that the knowledge was given through natural revelation. The knowledge was given through their conscience. The knowledge was given to the Jew, especially through the written form of God. 
Today, probably all of us somewhere in our house or in our, on our person, we have a Bible. We have a written revelation from God. What you do with it, that's between you and God. Some have 10, 15, 20 Bibles, and they never read them. They collect dust. You're going to be held account based on how much information has been given to you. And so here he says, therefore, in Romans 2.1, therefore, you have no excuse. Why? Because you've been given all this revelation. Well, who is he talking to? Oh, man, he says. It's a general, revel- general reference to basically anybody who thinks he's exempt from God's judgment. Anybody who is thinking in their mind, well, I haven't done all these bad things that Paul talked about in, in Romans chapter 1, so I guess I'm okay. He's who God is talking to. Paul says the man of Romans 2 is inexcusable because he had knowledge. He probably had a more complete knowledge. Some of the Jews of Paul's day who would have been exposed to this chapter knew all about Christ. Yet what they do? They rejected him. They rejected him. That put them in the category of Hebrews chapter 10 verse 29 where it says, of how much sorer punishment suppose you that he be thought worthy who hath trodden under the foot of the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant with which he was sanctified an unholy thing. There's going to be a special judgment. Now, look at what he says. So this is basically the moralist, the self-righteous person, whoever that may be, Jew or Gentile, probably pointed to the Jews, but it could apply to either. Therefore, you don't have any excuse because you've been given revelation. Anybody who's moral, oh man. And then he says, every one of you who judges. Every one of you who judges. Well, who is that? Yeah, everybody, right? How many of us go through life and don't make judges about other people? Judgments about other people. We all do that to some degree. The moralist is basically the person who knew God's standard. And we know that he knew it because he's applying it to somebody else. See, if, if you are doing something that you're charging somebody else with and you're doing it yourself, you can't say, oh, I didn't know it was wrong. <laughs> because you're judging that other person on that standard. Anyone who sits in the seat of moral judgment and condemns other for their sin proves that he is inexcusable. It'd be like going to traffic court and standing before a judge and saying, yeah, sorry, I drove 80 miles an hour down Jefferson and, you know, but I didn't know I wasn't, I wasn't allowed. To. Well, he's going to say it doesn't matter, right? There's no excuse. I'm giving you a ticket. Why? Because he knows it's wrong. He knows it's wrong. It'd be like that judge getting up from his seat, walking outside, getting in his car, and then driving 80 miles an hour down Jefferson and getting pulled over and saying, oh, I didn't know, right? You would say, well, that's, that's not true. You, you, I saw you in court. You just gave this guy a ticket. You know it's wrong. Anyone who sits in the seat of moral judgment and condemns others for their sin proves that he himself is inexcusable. And by the time he gets down to the end of Romans chapter 1, verse 32, look at what he's saying. He's saying, though... They know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, that not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. They knew. Even the pagans knew that it was right and wrong what they were doing. And so there's no excuse here. And then you come to the the condemnation, condemnation here in in verse 1. Because Paul says to the, the moralists here, He says, 
For in passing judgment on another, you condemn your what? Self. You condemn yourself. Look over at Matthew chapter 7. He's basically using, the Apostle Paul's using the words of Christ. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. You hear this all the time. You hear people say this all the time. Judge not, what? Lest you be judged. You ever confront someone over their sin? Oh, wait a minute. Judge not lest you be judged, brother. I mean, yeah, it does say that. But I think they stopped reading right there. That's all they wanted to do. Just read that little part. This doesn't mean that you shouldn't make judgments. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't evaluate things. That's not what he's saying. Clearly, we're told to do that. Look down at verses 15 and 20. He says, Beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Well, what are you doing if you do that? You're making a judgment, right? So he clearly cannot be saying just don't judge ever anything because he's saying you should examine the fruit of those who claim to speak for God. But in verse 1, Jesus is telling them basically to stop criticizing, stop condemning people, stop finding fault with other people, stop being self-righteous. Stop questioning other people's motives. That was one thing that really helped me in ministry early on, even as a youth pastor. A pastor took me aside one time because I was ticked off some parents and just the way they were dealing with their kids and dealing with me. And just, I was really frustrated. And I remember this pastor saying to me, look, they're the parents of this student that's in your youth group. You're basically questioning their motives. You have no right to do that. We have no right to ever question someone's motives. How do we know what motivates somebody? It may look like, well, they have bad motives, but you can't tell what's in somebody's heart. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, stop finding fault with everybody. Stop thinking yourself to be so self-righteous. Because you can't read what's in people's hearts, so don't question people's motives. Stop Pushing your criticism to the point where you're playing God. We need to hear this today. Because a lot of times, even within the church, you know, we we have people that are saying certain things or doing certain things, and then they criticize somebody else. And, well, they did this. Okay, what did they do? Well, they said this. Okay, well, what they said is not really wrong. Well, but I know they meant it this way. Well, how do you know they meant it this way? You can't possibly know that. Only God can know that. And that makes them accountable only to God. Until that motive equals an outwardly placed action, you have no right to point your finger at that person. They may have the most wickedest heart in the world, but you know what? If somehow they can restrain it and they have wrong motives and they're acting on those wrong motives but it's never fleshing itself out in in an action that can be pointed out and saying, hey, wait, this is sin. Clearly, look at what they're doing, not what they're thinking, not what they're thinking of doing. You can't can't question that. We're not God. In verse 2, he says, well, what judgment do you judge? 7-1, 7-2, Matthew. For with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Then he goes on. He says what? Why do you see a speck that is in your brother's eye, 
but you don't notice the log that is in your own eye. How can you say to your brother or your sister, for that matter, let me take the speck out of your own eye when there's a log in your own eye? I mean, get the imagery here. This, is, this literally means what it says. You see somebody that's got a little grain of sand in their eye and maybe their eye is, is watering and you have a, a hunking two by four sticking out of your head. How are you ever going to even get close to that person without hitting them with the, you know, it's impossible. I mean, it's kind of a silly illustration. But that's, that's how silly this is before God. It grieves the heart of God when we get to that point. To the point where, look at verse 5. What's he say? He says, Matthew 7, 5, you hypocrite. <laughs> you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs or swine, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. I mean, just by understanding what a dog is and what a, what a pig is, you're making a judgment. So he's not saying, do not judge at all. You hear some bylines for some churches today and, you know, First Church or what's happening now, where everyone is accepted. What does that mean? What if God doesn't accept you? You just want to accept the people that God doesn't accept? See, we live in a day and an age today where we, we have this love-based mentality and we think that, well, God is a God of love and he would never condemn anyone. He would never be angry. He would never be wrathful. He would never judge someone because he wrote, you know, don't judge lest you be judged. We're getting things confused today. We're getting things mixed up. It's no excuse. And that's what Paul is saying here. We know that the judgment of God, back to Romans 2, rightly falls on those who practice such things. It doesn't mean you shouldn't make a proper assessment of your kid or of somebody teaching theology or whatever. Make the judgment call, but make it based on what you're seeing, not on what you think you're seeing. And then he talks here about the, the practice, because the judgment of moralists basically it results in their own condemnation. That's what he says. If you judge and you do the same things, wait a minute, there's something wrong here. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? What an illusion that is. Look at Matthew chapter 19. I mean, it's almost to the degree of this illusion we find in Matthew 19. Matthew 19, look at verse 20. Actually, go all the way back to 16. We'll just read this whole thing real quick. And behold, a man came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Wow. And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Verse 18, he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. And look at what this guy's response is. Talk about a self-righteous person. The young man said to him, oh, I've kept all those. <laughs> what do I still lack? Done that, been there, done that. Jesus said to him, 
If you would be perfect, (laughs) go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. And look at verse 22. It's sad. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Talk about an illusion. Oh, I've kept these things all my life. Who's he talking about there? He's talking about a self-righteous person. He's talking about, in our day and age, he's talking about a church person. Somebody who's come to church all their life, and they just think, oh, they're, you know, fine and dandy with God, and, and you know, they punch in every, every Sunday morning, and, and that's basically their Christian life, and they think that somehow that's going to secure them a place with the Lord. All the while, he's claiming that he doesn't do things that the pagans do. Lifting themselves up. Oh, I don't do this. I don't do that. He claims he doesn't commit those sins. I hate to keep going back to Matthew because we've already been through this, but it's important. Matthew 5, look at what Jesus says in verse 21. He's dealing with the religious elite. He's dealing with the hypocrites. He's dealing with the scribes, the Pharisees here. Verses 21, 22, Matthew 5, he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Notice he says you have heard. Who did he hear it from? He heard it from the Pharisees. The people that were entrusted with God's law, remember? Well, what did they do with God's law? Well, they kind of thought it was kind of harsh, so they kind of changed it up a little bit. (laughs) So he said, you've heard this. But Jesus says, I say to you, in verse 22, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Wow. Jesus takes his own words and basically dissects their hearts. He says, you know what? You may not have actually murdered somebody, but you know what? In your heart, (laughs) you're hating that person like you wish they were dead. They were able to refrain from actually acting on it because they sought so hard to be self-righteous, but inside they were murderers. I want you to understand, false religion cannot restrain sin in the heart. False religion cannot restrain sin in the heart. Eventually, it will come out. But you know what you can do? You can mask it with self-righteousness. We do that real well. Same chapter, Matthew 5, verses 27 and 28. Jesus kind of won't get off this subject here. Matthew 5, 27 and 28. He says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that every one of you who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Wow. Jesus knew what was going on in their hearts. Look down at verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife. Let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Once again, Jesus looking at the heart, what was going on? They were just saying, well, okay, I divorced you, I divorced you, I divorced you, and you're divorced. That's it. So now I'm free to marry somebody else. That's the law that they kind of came up with. And God's saying, no, it doesn't work that way. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. Look at verse 33. Again, you have heard it said, those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall 
perform to the Lord what you have sworn. You're not going to lie. Well, what were they doing? They were relying on their, the keenness of the words that they used. Back then, you know, you could have an oath with somebody. And as long as you, you could do that oath without invoking the name of God, it didn't really matter. Kind of like when kids come up and you ask them a question and they have their fingers crossed or whatever, you know. That's kind of what they, that's what they were doing, literally. You know, they'd swear by heaven. They'd swear by this, they'd swear by that, on my mother's grave. As long as they didn't say, on God's name, I swear, they were off the hook. They could do whatever they want. They didn't believe that they had to fulfill that oath as long as they didn't invoke the literal name of God. It goes all the way down to verse 38. He says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Jesus says, I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to him the other side also. See, they were using that eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, kind of a, or uh, eye for an eye. They were using that as basically an excuse to get revenge on whatever they wanted. They were establishing a, a, a vengeance as, as man's God-given right. So if your neighbor does something, then you can just kind of act like you're God and go out and, and deal with it. But that statement was restricted. It was restricted to the courts for the punishment of crime. It wasn't meant for personal vengeance. And so Jesus says, you know what? If somebody slaps you on the face, you don't haul off and belt them, saying, hey, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. No, that's not how it works. He says, no, you turn the cheek. Self-righteous people make two fatal mistakes. They misunderstand the height of God's law. They don't realize how lofty the law of God is, and they misunderstand the depth of their own sin. Two fatal mistakes that they make. And so the logic here of our Lord is clear, it's convincing. Those who condemn others prove that they know the law. That's what Paul is saying. But through that knowledge, they condemn themselves because they themselves do the same things that they're condemning the other people for. Hence the word hypocrite. So in Romans 2, Paul is pointing out clearly here that the person who looks real good on the outside, the moral kind of individual, the self-righteous person, is just as bad as everybody else. He just happens to cover it up a little better. He claims he's moral, he claims he's religious because he's basically good, because maybe he goes to synagogue or he goes to church or maybe he's been baptized or somehow he's restraining his flesh from acting out the externals. But he will be judged as a result. That's a very sobering thing. And Paul refers here to the judgment of God. He refers to it in verse 2, verse 3, verse 5 of Romans 2. He says in verse 5 that they're storing up wrath for the day of wrath. The overall idea here is if you you do not repent of your self-righteous hypocrisy, he says clearly you're storing up wrath. For the day of judgment. You notice that in chapter 1, he's using the word they. They do this. They do that. When he's describing all these bad things. They, the pagans, they do this. The Gentiles, they do that. They live this way. They live that. And then he begins in chapter 2. He says, therefore you. Wow. He gets real personal all of a sudden. He begins to address it personally. Sometimes this is where people 
claim this. And this is Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area, and if not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m., and we offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you would like to encourage us here at the Graceful Truth Program, please give us a call here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. Here's our phone number, 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. That's gracefultruth.org. Also, we would invite you to join us Christmas Eve for our special Christmas Eve service, 6 to 7 p.m. And as we do come to the end of 2015, would you prayerfully consider us as part of your year-end giving? We rely on your faithful partnership with us financially, week in and week out, to keep the broadcast alive here on KFAX. We'd love to hear from you. Would you, again, please prayerfully consider us in your year-end giving? You can reach us again at 650-366-9923, or you can give securely online at our website, gracefultruth.org. That's gracefultruth.org. We trust you'll have a blessed week, and we look forward to seeing you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.